Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Mad Couch Cast, where we're all about delivering top-notch insights and juicy takeaways to build a business that you love and reach your next version of success. Today, I am so pumped because we are going to be joined by the one and only Devin Lee to discuss something that every business owner should strive for, and that's an epic client experience. I mean, get ready to be blown away by her expert knowledge as she's going to share the power of creating an unforgettable client experience that's going to leave your customers dancing with joy and excited to work with you again. From building authentic relationships to going above and beyond expectations, we're going to be unpacking all of the key ingredients that will have your clients raving about you to all of their friends. So grab your favorite drink, sit back, open your notes app, and let's get this client experience party started. Welcome to the Mad Couch Cast. I'm your host, Kendra Gill, and I'm here to help service-based business owners like you create space in your business to ditch the daily hustle and build a business that you love. As a teacher turned certified director of operations, I'll be sharing my strategies on how to free up your time so that you can work in your zone of genius. We'll discuss topics like business planning, systems and processes, productivity, operations, and leadership mindset. Each week, we'll explore ways to build a business that truly brings you joy. So buckle up because it's time to go from feeling stuck to setting yourself up for success. Let's go scale that business. Welcome to the podcast, Devin Lee. I'm so excited to have you on. We're going to have a great conversation today. But before we get started, just introduce yourself a little bit. Sure. My name is Devin Lee. I'm a certified online business manager, a system strategist, and I work with folks to perfect their client journey and then put it on autopilot. Ooh, I like that autopilot part so that you don't have to keep working so hard. (laughs) So, so Tell me a little bit, how did you get into the client experience game? How did that come about? Oh gosh, where to begin? I think the the origin story started with my first business. I was a professional organizer. It was a very fun job, but one issue I ran into immediately was that I, first of all, had limited time to do computer admin work because I spent most of my time inside my clients' homes. So I couldn't spend a lot of time on the internet, emailing back and forth, following up with payments, trying to get folks scheduled. So I really needed something that was um, easy and automated, which is when I first discovered Acuity. And in addition to my uh, obstacles, my clients, a lot of them have some ADHD or other executive functioning stuff where they lose emails really easily or like they don't keep a tight calendar. So they need the experience to be really, really easy for them, really, really clear. And there needs to be a lot of reminders. So I needed something. So I immediately invested in a scheduler like Acuity and it completely changed my life. So that was kind of my first taste of how can I make this experience better for me and my clients at the same time? And then when I pivoted to being an online business manager full time, Creating a client journey, like from the moment a client schedules a sales call to the moment we're done working with them and we want to follow up, that was kind of something I just naturally specialized in. I worked with a lot of like graphic designers and folks who did branding. And so we had a lot of these projects where we were constantly starting a new project and then ending it. And But then we also needed to follow up for testimonials and data and how do we work with this client again? So making sure that, that client experience piece was really locked in became really, really important. Something that I just loved doing, honestly. 
And I have found that a lot of people, especially, I think we have very similar audiences in so far as like creatives and visionaries and things. A lot of people don't go into business to have to do all the backend stuff. They want to just do that graphic design piece or the website design. They don't want to have to spend so much time on the backend automating all of the things, like doing all of the things manually. And so it's nice to have a streamlined and automated process that can be repeatable, right? Exactly. And I think when people hear client experience, they hear of like, oh, the frill and the pizzazz and the bonus and, you know, that is something that I like to incorporate. Like how can we give a little surprise and delight to our clients? But it's also like making sure your clients have all the information that they need to work with you, that they feel supported. So you're kind of demonstrating your values of maybe professionalism or just caring, you know, whatever that, however you want to demonstrate that to them, that's all wrapped up in client experience. And it's also helping to make sure that you get the information you need. Like you're not running after clients, trying to get them to fill out forms. If your client journey is tight and you know that you're going to collect all that information, um, you don't have to do all that extra work, all that extra admin, if it's just already built into the process. And I think there's a lot of people who get kind of caught up in the frilly part and think that that's all what client experience is. It's, It's getting stuck in the extra where that's not where most people need to start. So how do you make it sustainable? How do you make that client journey something that is not going to take all of someone's effort? Yeah, that's a great point. I think some people, especially if you are a visionary and you have a ton of really awesome ideas, which most business owners are, they have these big ideas of how they want to support their clients and they get excited about the shiny stuff and they forget to just start with the basics. So what I tell everyone, and this applies to any system in any part of the business, which Kendra, I know you probably do this with your clients all the time. Like the very first thing you need to do is to create a system is just write it down. And so I'll even start with folks just like sometimes even on a Google doc, step one, what is the first thing someone does to get a hold of you? Are they scheduling a call on your website? Are they emailing you? Are they filling out an application? And then we really just go through the steps and we write them down one at a time. And if that's all you do, that alone is so helpful as opposed to kind of just winging what the steps are. Most people just hold the steps in their head or their team has to kind of guess and different team members have different information and it's kind of a mess. So just starting with having it written down is amazing, just a checklist. You can even have it as a checklist in your project management tool. Once that is solidified and you say like, oh, this is the way I like to, like I how I like to work with my clients, how they enjoy working with me. From there, you can then look at the list and say, okay, which pieces of this can I automate using something like Dubsado or Zapier or Airtable, ClickUp, or maybe all of them combined? Or which pieces, if I can't automate them, which pieces can I delegate to a VA that I hire or some other team member? That makes a lot of sense because I know that I have worked with clients who they've kept it all in their head. And then what happens is their client experience changes every time. Or the steps that they use, sometimes they forget a step and they have to go back. They feel like they look silly or it changes every time, which makes it unsustainable. Right. And if you're if your steps aren't repeatable, not only is it stressful, but then you can't make it better. Like you can't at the end of a project. go, okay, what did we do? Great. What, what, What could we do better? What could we add to next time if you're just making it up? every single time. And circling back to what we were saying before, once you have those foundations in place, then you can do things like sending a client gift, 
following up a month later, all that like really fancy stuff. That's when you can really get into that special stuff. So when you're talking about all these different steps and you're talking about, you know, writing it all down, where does that client journey start? Well, I think in the grand scheme of things, technically a client journey starts with, you know, wherever they hear about you. When I work with clients specifically around client experience, I say it starts the moment that someone gets to your website or reaches out to you and wants to schedule a call with you or however you decide you want folks to engage with you. That's where it starts because even before they say yes, that's where you can start to build the relationship, set the tone. I always joke whenever we have game night, all of our friends, we, for some reason, everyone just gangs up on my partner and just goes after him in the games and he gets so mad and he goes, why does everyone pick on me? And we always say, Rob, the game started when you walked in the door before we started playing. And you are such a brat when we play games. <laughs> like he gets so competitive before we even start playing that everyone just goes out. So in the reverse, the game starts playing the moment your client walks in the door before they say yes to working with you. Um, that's when you can first start to establish how you're going to work together so that by the time they say yes, you're already kind of in a flow of how things are going to be. And I love that because I think that sets the whole tone for what your relationship with that client is going to be. If they're, if you make the process really hard right off the bat, just for them to get a hold of you, that's pretty much a sign that that's what it's going to be like to work with you, whether they are consciously thinking that or not. Absolutely. And the reverse I've had a few instances where someone wanted to work with me and I sent them my scheduler to schedule the discovery call and they couldn't figure out how to work my scheduler. And I have had folks tell me like, oh, I'm sending this person to you. Here's your phone number. If they can't figure out your scheduler, call them. And I say, you know what? The thing is for me personally, and everyone is different for me personally, if my client can't figure out how to use my scheduler, I don't think we're going to be that good of a fit because I need some level of tech literacy. And so it can go both ways in that, in that nature. Yeah, that's a good point because... It's really hard to establish that relationship of working well together if you can't even make it one foot through the door yet. You know, like that would be frustrating. And it's kind of that whole tone. So that makes a lot of sense. So when you're talking about, we talked about, you know, when it starts and, you know, seeing if people are fit and all of those things. But what are the key elements? If somebody's listening to this and they're like, well, I just do what I've always done and I haven't really thought through a whole process. What are some of the key elements of an exceptional client experience? Ooh, I love this. Yeah, I can go over like kind of the basic foundations of each stage. So first there's the, so I I guess there's like the sales stage, which is what we were just talking about, like getting them on the phone. So as we've established many times, you need to decide how you want people to contact you. And then once they say yes, then we're kind of in that onboarding stage where After they say yes, then what happens? So most people have some sort of proposal. You definitely, definitely need a contract. And I will go on a whole rant about how you need a contract. It's non-negotiable. And then you want to probably get some sort of deposit. When possible, I like to encourage you to get money ahead of time. It just makes things simpler. Um, But if you're charging a lot of money, maybe you just get a deposit. This protects you. And then from there, once all of those things are done and only once the contract is signed and then a deposit is paid that is when you start the like official welcome onboarding process 
again, I see some people starting to like start onboarding materials before finishing the like contract deposit section. Don't do that. It's not over till the fat lady sings, et cetera. And then you want to figure out how you want to welcome your client. This is a lot of people skip this. Um, you want to officially welcome them. This is not only going to make them feel excited, this is also going to answer any lingering questions they might have. It's again, setting the tone for the relationship. Maybe you're setting some boundaries of like when you work, how often you're available. You might want to reiterate certain things that were in the contract because who reads a contract? I rarely read the whole contract. So certain things you might want to point out like, you know, if the project is paused for two weeks, and I don't hear from you. There's a restarting fee, things like that. So I recommend just doing this in the form of a well-written email. That's really clear. You can also at this time, let folks know, like, here's what's going to happen next. Anytime you can remind folks what's going to happen next, I recommend any opportunity you can take. But if you don't want this to be an email, the email could just invite them to schedule a welcome call with you or a kickoff call where you talk about this in person or over Zoom, I should say. You want to have something happen that is welcoming them, making them feel excited, secured, supported. Um, but you also want it to happen automatically. Most of the time you're purchasing from someone, you're, you're making a leap of faith. You're hoping that this purchase works out. So if, if they instantly get some sort of, yes, this was the right decision, here are the next steps, it's going to alleviate any tension and then they're just going to flow right into working with you. Now, I am all about the next steps too. Like, I don't like to feel like I'm in the dark. I don't want my clients to feel like they're in the dark. And if they have now, it's not true in every case, but I feel like if my client has to ask me a question about any part of my onboarding, I have missed something. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And I always like to give a caveat there. Like I have worked with clients who they kind of, they live on the what if train, like what if someone needs this? What if someone needs that? And sometimes someone will come to you with something that they need that maybe in your heart, like you're like, I don't want to offer this, or maybe I don't need to put this in the welcome email, but if in your heart, it feels right add it. But if someone comes to you twice, it better be in your onboarding email. And yes, I'll reiterate it again. Anytime you can add in the next steps, you got to add them in. So for delivery, this obviously looks different for everybody's business because you know, I don't know what you're delivering, but something that you could add into every delivery is regular feedback forms to make sure that they feel supported, ask them how it's going. This not only gives you data that can help you make your business better, but it also makes the client, again, feel really supported, like, wow, they like really care or just regular status updates, anything like that. And then once the delivery period is over, then there's the offboarding a lot of missed opportunities in the off day. You're Kendra's nodding your head violently. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So well, one, the most obvious that I think some people miss is you want to organize whatever you're delivering in an, a way that can be easily consumed for the client. Like you want your files to be organized. You want loom videos, explaining them how to use it, whatever you're delivering. Even if what you're delivering is like maybe a little bit more intangible, you can still give them some sort of roadmap that they can take what you've taught them or delivered to them and take it with them. Something to make them feel supported 
afterwards so they know how to use what you've done for them. And then we're gonna hit them with the feedback forms. We're gonna hit them with the testimonial asks. We're gonna do a one month follow-up, a three month follow-up, a six month follow-up, just to see how they're doing. And also maybe you wanna get a six month later testimonial. These are all things that like keep you top of mind and keep your clients supported so that they just continue to reap the benefits of working with you. And then they come back to you and then they tell their friends and it kind of is circular from there. One thing I like to also incorporate in the offboarding process is to have a place. I usually do some kind of a document that I send that I make in Canva because I'm not like super graphic-y, you know what I mean? But I, I, I'll i get in, into Canva and part of my document, I'll have a protect your investment section that just tells you, here's all the things that we have done. Here's, you've paid for this. Now here's how to implement it and make sure that you are getting your money's worth. Don't let this just sit on your computer somewhere. (gasps) That is incredibly genius. I love that because not only does it frame it in a way that they'll use, it also kind of puts the onus on them of like, hey, I did the thing. This is your investment. Now it's up to you to take the baton and like keep using it. That is, I love that. Especially since I know that you do like a lot of Dubsado setups. And so if you set this whole thing up and then they don't use it, Oh my goodness. Like, what did you do this for? You know, what, what was the point? So, yeah, absolutely. Especially because Dubsado is a more complicated tool and my offboarding guide is long. They basically get like weekly homework that involves like them learning and testing and some feedback I got in the very beginning of my Dubsado setups is that I would set it up for folks and they would feel super confused and lost. And I say like, oh, you know, just ask me any questions you want. You have 30 days, whatever. And they'd be like, I don't even know what to ask you. This is a lot. So I made an incredibly detailed offboarding guide because I wanted to be able to say like, hey, I gave you every possible tool to learn this thing with my support. So if you don't do that within 30 days, I know I did my piece. Now it's up to you. Exactly. So on the flip side, when we're talking about this client experience, what just happens if somebody says, like, that sounds nice, but I'm just going to do my work and I'm not going to worry about the client experience. If you're providing a poor client experience, how does that affect your business? Totally. I mean, here's the thing. It's like, uh, gosh, what's that saying or that cliche? Like if a baby's left on your doorstep, like not taking care of the baby is also a decision, like you're making a decision either way. So your clients are having an experience either way. And a few things are happening. If you are wowing them and really going over the top um, and really hitting it out of the park, like that is when they will start telling other people. I think if you give them like a mediocre, fine experience, they'll say, okay, and they'll walk away. Cause think about it. When you go to a restaurant, when do you leave a review? You leave a review when they, knock your socks off, like really, or when something horrible went wrong, terrible, you never just leave a review when they just gave you exactly what you wanted. And so if you aren't providing a good experience, they will at best just say nothing and never come back to you ever again. And at worst, tell other people. (laughs) And so you want to make sure that you're taking care of your clients because that is what is going to keep your business afloat. That's what's going to keep new customers coming to you because the best marketing is word of mouth. You can do all the Instagram posts you want, but really it's, it, that's not sustainable. You also need people to come back and tell their friends. I know that when I am choosing to do something new, I very rarely actually go, like I might look at an Instagram profile, 
But if I want to work with them, I'm going to Google and I'm saying, okay, such and such reviews. And not always the reviews that you're posting on your website, because I know you're not going to post any bad reviews. I'll read those too. <laughs> Cause I'm going to look everywhere. But if I'm, if it's especially high ticket offers, I'm going to go and just Google, Hey, this person, this course reviews and see what pops up because I want to know the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. And that's another thing about the Google reviews is I'd like to see how many there are because so restaurants don't really count, but something like if I'm going to, let's say, oh, I just hired a, a property manager for a rental that I have. And one of the things I looked at was not just like the amount of stars, like the rating they had, but how many reviews they had. Because to get a review for something like a property management company, they have to have a system where they are following up and asking for reviews. And if they have that system in place for their business, they probably have a system in place to take care of me as well. So I love that little extra mm -hmm. like... They have 100 reviews. Oh, Joe Schmo down the road has one review. That's probably because like their mom left a review and they don't really have systems in place. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's a that's a good thought though. Like I had not thought of that from um from a perspective of actually building in that client touch point to say, hey, leave this review. On the flip side, I will say I've gotten some really scammy ones that mm. from people I have worked with, like I was their client and they say, Hey, if you leave us a five-star review, we'll give you a $50 gift card to Amazon. Y'all, you can't do that. Do not no. do that. You cannot do, first of all, if Amazon finds out you're going to be in big trouble, they're going to take away yeah. your privileges <laughs> and Google as well. But you can, you can give an incentive to leave a review, but it's got to be an honest review and not a five-star review. I can't tell you how many times someone has done that. And it feels so icky. Yeah, it feels weird because then you're like, oh, are you, <laughs> where else is, is this seeping in? You have to do everything with integrity. That's for sure. So we've talked about the good, why you need the client onboarding or client experience in general. What about some, what are some mistakes that people tend to make when they start to develop out their client experience? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I think what we talked about before is, that you brought up putting the cart before the horse, like getting too excited about the exciting parts without getting the foundations in first. I think another one is just not having a consistent process in place. You can be adding and tweaking your existing process, but just winging it like that is the first ticket to stress ball town. Oh man. Right. So then let's talk about this because I am, I am all about the data. I love data. I like to see, you know, how that data plays out. And we're looking at client experience and all the things. How do you measure the success of your client experience? Ooh, well, you know, I think it's different for every business, but I think this is where those feedback surveys really come into play. It's when I'm actually, I'm working with a nonprofit right now who is like applying for a lot of grants and things like that. So like they need the data. So I'm, I'm in this really exciting project where we're like leaning into like, how do we capture data absolutely everywhere? And one of the things we're really focusing on right now is the follow-up surveys. Like every time, every time a client is done with a session with you, we're going to send them a feedback survey. Every time you're done working together, right before you're done working together, a month out, you don't want it to be too long, right? Because you want it to take under a minute to fill out or it's people won't fill it out. But we want to ask questions like what went really well, what could have gone better. And then you give it a number rating. I like to do on a scale of one to seven, 
My therapist just always asks me, how are you feeling on a scale of one to seven? I think because it's not 10 or five, it like makes people think more about it, but you have to really think about that. Yeah. Like, Oh, we're on a scale of one to seven. Am I? And then you can kind of look in, I mean, I mean, I have this, I'll go to my air table, of course. And then I can look and say like, okay, where am I not getting a seven and where I'm not getting a seven, I can go to, where did they say they needed more support? And that's where you can find what you need to change to better your offer. And then you can look at what am I doing really well and look at all that and use it for your marketing and then keep doing more of that. Also, I think about this a lot. I have a quarterly planning party program. So I am constantly, you know, relaunching every quarter to get more folks in. Um, and so I'm kind of reassessing it every quarter and making it better every quarter. And one of the things I do is I list all of the elements of the quarterly planning party. I look at all the things that people said they didn't like, what they did like, and then I notice what people said absolutely nothing about. For example, I started the quarterly planning party offering coaching Q&A support. And after two quarters, I got zero inquiries for coaching support. I said, okay, this is not something that people need for this particular program. So I just took it out. So there's all kinds of data you can gather. So the more data you can ask for and the more repeatedly, like don't be afraid of sending too many forms because people will often ignore the first one. So just keep sending them and then you can mesh it into all kinds of data from there. Oh my gosh, you said so many good things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, firstly, the, the whole... F- like feedback during different parts of the process, knowing where, okay, this part really went really well, but this part was not up to par and being able to pinpoint where you're, where you're having gaps in your customer or client experience. (laughs) I love that. Like brilliant. Like a little light bulb is going off in my brain right now. Like, Oh, I've got to do all the things. (laughs) Yeah. And also this again, circles back to kind of what I was saying before, like, Oh, if one person asks for this one little thing, it doesn't mean you have to add it. And this is where having the data helps too. For example, when I was an online business manager on retainer, I sent out regular feedback forms and I got a seven out of seven every single time until I had one client, she would always give me a six. And when it came down to us having to part ways and she asked me for feedback, That's one of the things I told her. I said, I notice you're really unhappy with everyone you hire and you are the only person to not give me an A++. That's feedback for her too, not just me. And it was my my ability to say, this client seems pissed at me like a weird amount. It's probably more their stuff that they've got going on, not my stuff because everybody else is giving me this great. So anyways, that's a lot about data, but do with it what you will. Well, and there are some people who just are never going to give a five star. It's so bizarre to me. You see it on Amazon. You see it on Google. They're like best experience for I'm like, what? what? Well, what was wrong? Like what, you know, what was just okay about it? And like, no, it was really great. I'm like, why is there a four? Drives me nuts. I won't like The great. other part of that is don't hang all of your business, all of your expectations on that one person who gave you a four. Or that one person exactly. can give you six, right? right. Exactly. Don't let it affect your internal thoughts about it because sometimes it, you're right. It's just on them. Yeah, exactly. But taking all of the data together, not just pin, you know, piece picking your, the parts of the data that you're like, oh, that hurts a little. <laughs> 
Exactly. And then you can look at it more neutrally. Uh, you can look at it as like a game. Like, how do I get better at this game? My score is currently 98%. How do we get it to 100%? And then you can use it in your marketing, by the way. Like 99% of people have said that this is an awesome experience. They love this product. They love this service. And you have the data to back it up. You're not just throwing it out to the wind, but you say, no, listen, I have, I have collected the data. I know that I, they're 98% happiness rating. Absolutely. Or even in my quarterly planning party program, that's a mouthful. I've recently in my marketing started using the data. I have a whole member directory with all kinds of data on who joined what quarter. And if they are a quarterly joiner or a lot of people sign up for a whole year. And I realized while I was doing the marketing for this current launch that 75% of the folks who join the quarterly planning party join for a whole year, which is what I prefer. So now all my marketing can say confidently, 75% of these party planners join for a whole entire year. So you should too. And then every quarter, hopefully I can make that number higher and higher and higher. <laughs> or even, you know, if, if it's not a whole year and somebody came back, you had what 90% of people who did a second quarter, you could say, I have 90% repeat business, which is also a sign of how successful your client experience is. That's right. I'm all about this. So we Stop. love data. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. I have a thought because we've talked about the automation, but I want to go a little bit deeper into the automation because it is, it, it can be a whole lot of work, but I promise it's going to be worth it if you can automate it. But there's a lot of feelings that come up with people when, when things get automated. And I just want to hear your thoughts and maybe some misconceptions about automation, because I think that a lot of people are on the fence about it. Yes. Okay. So the first thing that I hear people say when they like are resisting automation is that they're worried it'll make them sound too robotic and too cold if their clients are getting these automated emails and automated messages. And I say, oh, contrary, Munford, I feel the opposite. I think having the automated messages allow you to be more heartfelt. And that the reason I give is because if I had to write a separate welcome email to every single new client I had and every single person who joined my quarterly planning party, like every time someone signed up to work with me, if I had to rewrite that email, like that's exhausting. I would not put that much effort into it. I'd be like, here's the bare minimum of what you need to know if I remember. But because I only need to write these emails once or review them once a quarter, I can really sit and make a gorgeous email full of my colors and I can pick out my emojis and I can find all the different gifts because I'm like obsessed with finding different gifts. Um, I can really take my time and write a really heartfelt message. And here's the thing, like your clients aren't going to go, all of these messages are automated. Like this person doesn't even care. No, they're like excited that you're providing for them this professional experience. So the more automations you have actually, the more they feel supported and they can feel your authentic voice coming through. The other thing is I think a lot of people think it's going to be a lot of work and be really overwhelming. And I get that. Like it's, it takes a minute to, to figure out how to set up automations, but you can set it up slowly and you can be in control the whole time. I think that's the other part is people don't want to feel out of control in their business, but you can layer it like anything you layer it on. 
And so, for example, when I set up um, Dumbsado for folks, there's the automated workflows. There is the option to have to require approval before certain things trigger. There's all these different, like I call them training wheels that I put in so that the clients can kind of get used to the workflows and understand the steps and then slowly take the training wheels off. And even if they, you know, especially when it comes to Dubsado, even if they keep the like approval requirements on, Dubsado is still prompting them like, hey, the client finished their form, it's time to email them the scheduler or whatever it might be. Or if you're just using like any automations, like maybe you're learning Airtable or Zapier, just do one at a time. Just think of one wish you had for your business. I recently was thinking, oh, you know, I wanna keep my member directory for my program up to date, but I don't wanna have to manually add everyone in. I wish that every time someone signed up, it would automatically add them. Once you have that wish in your head, then you can go seek out the automation that makes it come true. And you just do one at a time. And before you know it, you have all these automations for your business running. And then it gives you time to work on the things that you want to work on and where you where your specialties lie, where your passion lies. Right. I believe the goal should be that you when you work, your work should be getting new clients and serving your clients. Everything else should be like running in the background. And obviously you need to manage that running in the background and setting it up, but that should be the goal, right? Exactly. Yes. So as we kind of wrap up a little bit, I always ask my guests one thing, and that is what is a step someone can take today to move towards making a better client experience? So what's one actionable step they can take today? Yes. Well, I'm going to circle back to if you do nothing after today, or if you only do one thing after listening to today's conversation, the one thing is just to write down, pick a place to start, get open a Google Doc. Even if you have a notebook open, just write it down and then find a place to store that to refer back to. Maybe what I like to do is have it be steps in a project management tool where it's actually written down and then you can duplicate that as a template within your Asana, within your ClickUp, within your Trello board. Just have it written down. Even if you don't delegate, even if you don't automate, just have it in place and then that And then from there, we'll talk after you do that. Just a nice starting place to make sure that you have all of the things and that everything's organized because I have been the, on the receiving side of some client experiences that were very confusing and it's not fun. No, it's It's terrible. It's yes. So (laughs) I'm very passionate about this because it is not fun. (laughs) I don't like not knowing what the next steps are. I'm very an in-control human, I have to know all of the things. I don't function well when I don't know what's coming up next. So I love that. Same. For everybody listening, where can they find you if they're like, gosh, I need more of this. I need all of the things that Devin Lee has to offer. Where do, where do they find you? Yes. Well, the first thing you should do is go to my website, devinlee.com, D-E-V-I-N-L-E-E.com. From there, you can sign up for my email list. I send lots of amazing, juicy emails with content such as what we were talking about today. If you want to follow me on the socials, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at OBM. And I follow all those things. So just do it. It's worth it. <laughs> she she drops so many good gems. This is why she's on the podcast, you know, because she knows what she's talking about. So, oh, shucks. <laughs> well, I'm glad you were here. Thank you for stopping by my corner of the podcasting world. 
And I am looking forward to maybe doing some juicy stuff in the future. I love it. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. This was such a blast. All right. We'll chat later. See ya. Thank you again for joining me today. I hope this episode was able to provide value and some encouragement as you pursue big things. If you enjoyed what you heard or if you got something useful from today's episode, we'd love for you to leave a review or share this episode with someone in your circle. And if you'd like to connect with others who are on the same journey as you, join my free Facebook community. Have an amazing week full of success. And until next week, enjoy your time.